Good evening. Good to be with you guys for this Good Friday service. And it is the day in which humanity sent the Lord to the cross, but also the day in which there was the ultimate atonement for sin. So it's simultaneously the bleakest day, the greatest sin in human history, but what gave way to the greatest event in human history. We'll be in Matthew 26 and 27 this evening. Uh, and for a Good Friday service, I think it's just so important just to, to look at the story of what Jesus did, what he endured, what he did for us, for all who believe in him on the cross. So Matthew 26, we'll begin in verse 36. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep. And take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. 
At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it who struck you? Moving to chapter 27, verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas, to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. 
And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you were the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking out from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. Lord, he came into the world. He came into a dark world to bring light The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to a hateful world and brought love. He came to a world of falsity and brought truth. Lord, he came to a dying world and brought life through his death on the cross. Lord, may we rejoice in that. May everyone who's here believe and trust in that, in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we have a gracious Savior who's willing to forgive all of our sins when we trust in him. Lord, as we 
discuss this passage this evening, may we again be pointed to the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a sinfully low view of sin. We cannot overestimate the weight of sin when we see the cost of sin on the cross. None of us lives up even to our own moral standards. Do you ever get mad and regret it? Do you ever say something to someone that you wish you could take back? Ever tell a lie or bend the truth and wish you hadn't? Ever manipulate a person to get your own way? Ever do something that deep down you know isn't the right thing to do? Of course you have. We don't live up to our own standards. And if we can't live up to our standards, then we certainly can't live up to the standards of a holy God. We don't, and we can't. We have no room to stand on our own. We have nothing to go to God with on our own and say, you have to accept me. You have to forgive me. You have to love me. On what grounds? We sin. And it's not just, well, nobody's perfect, but that we sin. We actively rebel against God in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our actions, in our inactions. We can't make ourselves holy. We can't make ourselves worthy. We have a sinfully low view of sin. Our view of sin is so low that we think we can master it on our own. Our view of sin is so low that we think we can do enough on our own, be good enough on our own to outweigh our sin. Then why the cross at all? Why did Jesus die? We like to think we can do it on our own, that we can make it to God on our own efforts, that there are people who are doing just fine without God. And So the world likes to judge God, likes to say what he should do if he was really loving, that he'd just wipe the slate clean, that that would be real love. We like to tell God what love is because we have a sinfully low view of sin, because the reality is that God shows us what love is on the cross. That is what love is. The Bible says greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus shows us what love is when he lays down his life for us. When he endures the penalty of your sin for you. When he bears the wrath of God for you. And again, that's a message that our world increasingly finds offensive. That many hate. But that again shows our sinfulness when we try to judge God. When we try to tell God who made us. What would really be holy or just or good? We can't earn God, but he freely gives himself on the cross. We might debate sin, just how big of a deal it really is, just how much it really matters. But Jesus shows us how big of a deal it is on the cross. He shows us how imperfect we are on the cross, how sinful we are on the cross. Because he bears the weight of our sins on the cross. We have a sinfully low view of sin. We cannot overestimate the weight of our sin. When we look at the price that Jesus paid for sin. Jesus didn't die for you because your sin wasn't that bad. He did it because of the holiness of God and our inability to live up to that. But rather than just languish with no hope, he gave us hope on the cross. Jesus is God, and because he's God, 
He was a worthy sacrifice for our sins. For all of eternity, Jesus is God. God came into the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Born of a virgin at his incarnation. Jesus is fully man. And because he's fully man, he is like us in our human nature. He lived the holy life that we could not. The sinless life that we could not. And he died for you. And Jesus goes to the cross. And in going to the cross, he doesn't simply die for us. He's tortured for us. It's not like our modern day and age when methods of execution are designed to be relatively painless. No, crucifixion was designed to humiliate and maximize the torture and torment that a person endured. It was designed to prolong the suffering. After being flogged to within an inch of your life, a person would have to carry the top bar of his or her crossbeam, which by itself weighed upwards of 125 pounds to the place where you would be crucified. Nails would be driven into your arms and feet. Just imagine the agony of that. And the crossbeam would be hoisted up with the person attached to it. Struggling to breathe, their body would be sagging down with their weight on their legs, pushing up to get more oxygen, repeating this horrid cycle as a person was exposed to the elements, bleeding profusely, and either ultimately died of exposure or some sort of asphyxiation. But there we have God on earth, dying in the most agonizing way, the most humiliating way, in the most public way. But it was for the sins of the world. It was so we could be forgiven. Because as he was nailed to the cross, so was our sin. We have a sinfully low view of sin. That that was the price to be paid for it. God on earth dying for it. But he did so willingly. Not because he had to, but because of his love for us. That's what love is. We have a sinfully low view of sin. We see the sinfulness of humanity in Jesus' death. Jesus never leaves us. He never forsakes us. His disciples let him down. Three times they fell asleep in the garden. Three times Peter denies Jesus. Judas leads the party who arrests Jesus. Judas had walked with the Lord for three years. He was one of the twelve. And he betrayed him. Jesus is brought before the Jewish ruling council. Matthew 26, 59 and 60 says, Now the chief priests of the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. These people were not out for the truth. They had the Savior of the world in their midst. And instead of seeing him for who he really was, they kept bringing up false witnesses, trying to find something to hold against him. So they take his words out of context. In the passage it says, At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. In the first century Roman world, desecrating a temple was a capital offense. Jesus was referring to his own body. Jesus is the true temple, the presence of God with his people. And so they misconstrue the words of Jesus. But it still ultimately works for a divine plan. This leads to the crucifixion of Christ because he said that he could rebuild the temple in three days. Ironically, 
When they then crucify him, he shows us that he could rebuild the temple in three days. Because as the true temple, Jesus rose on the third day. He's taken before Pontius Pilate. Pilate is an earthly authority, the governor. Pilate knows he can find no fault in Jesus. He sees the innocence of Jesus. Pilate symbolically washes his hands and tries to cleanse himself. The text says he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. In the face of intense pressure, Pilate can't bring himself to do the right thing. He offers up an option. Pilate has a custom of annually releasing one prisoner. There is Barabbas, who's a killer and an instigator of insurrection. Or they can have Jesus, who's totally innocent. And they select Barabbas. The Roman guards later mock Jesus. They make a crown of thorns. They hand him a reed as a makeshift scepter. They put a robe on him. They bow down and say, Hail, King of the Jews. But again, this plays into the irony. Because Jesus is a king. He's the king of kings. While he's on the cross, the mocking continues. Jesus is crucified with two men who are guilty. And they too join in the mocking. The guilty mocking an innocent man. Dying people mocking the Lord of life. Crucified men who can't even show humility to another man who is dying the same gruesome death. The priests, scribes, and elders continue mocking Jesus in chapter 27, verse 42. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. But they miss the point. Because it's because Jesus doesn't come down from the cross that we can believe in him. Because Jesus died on the cross that day. The mocking continues in verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. And again, they miss the point. God did not spare his son so that he could spare you when you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The followers of Jesus, the betrayer of Jesus, the ruling Jewish authorities, the ruling Roman authorities, all contributing in various ways to Jesus' death. This isn't an isolated failing of one person. It's not a lone wolf assassin who takes out Jesus. If that had been the case... Maybe we could chalk it up to one bad egg. But in the passion narrative, it's everyone. Everyone's failures and sins lead to the cross. But even in spite of that, God is working for his own glory. In spite of that, God had planned throughout all eternity to actually use that evil and wickedness for our own salvation. Because even though it was sin and evil that brought Jesus to the cross... It's because Jesus went to the cross that he was able to die for you and me and to forgive our sins. We see the sinfulness of humanity in Christ's passion. We can't downplay the sinfulness of humanity when Jesus came into the world and our world killed him. The righteous and holy God who made the world came into the world and we crucified him. We can't downplay the severity of our own sinfulness. The most atrocious way that humanity has ever conceived of to end a person's life, crucifixion, is what is used against the Savior of the world. 
We have a sinfully low view of sin. But in spite of all of that, we again see the grace of the Lord on the cross. Because Jesus bore the infinite wrath of sin. There is infinite grace when we turn to him. There is no sin that he is unable to forgive. Infinite wrath because of our sins, but infinite mercy on the cross because of grace. Jesus died on a hill called Calvary. They had taken him up to Jerusalem, just outside the city where the Lord was crucified. Hundreds of years before that, God had made a promise to Abraham of land. And on the first Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross in the very land that had been promised to Abraham. But that was always God's plan. To make a way for sinful people to have a relationship with a righteous God. Jesus endured an agonizing death for you and for me. If you know him, let this day be a day of praise to him. To thank him for what he has done for us. To remember the grace that he has given To be mindful of our sin and the grace that he gives to us. To remember where we were, dead in sin, and the life that he gives. But if you're struggling right now, if God doesn't seem close to you right now, to know that Jesus paid the price for you because of his love for you. And if you don't know him, examine your heart. Do you live up to your own standards? Be honest with yourself. No one has broken more promises to you than you. But know that Jesus forgives and he died for you. And if you accept the grace for what he did and what you couldn't do, by faith your sins are forgiven because there is no other way. And if there is, I close with this question. If we can do it on our own, then why did Jesus go to the cross? Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your Son, fully God, fully man, because of his divinity, able to die on the cross for us, because of his humanity, like us in our own humanity. Lord, we thank you that he has borne the cost, that he has borne the wrath. He didn't deserve it, Lord. We did. But because of his amazing love and grace, he freely gives it. Lord, may we trust in him. Lord, on this Good Friday, may we remember the cross and what Jesus has done. Let us look forward to Easter and the day where we celebrate the tomb being empty. In Jesus' name, amen. We don't have a closing song this evening. Normally, the benediction I do is from the book of Hebrews, but this evening I would like to close with this. It's actually from the Gospel of John. It's the last thing that Jesus says in that Gospel before he dies. It is finished. Have a good evening. Lord willing, love to see you Easter morning, 10 a.m. at the school. Thank you.